Hello, and welcome to this Solace Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solacechurch.com. All right, Acts 1, verses 1 through 3, as we kind of kick this Jesus Continued series off. And this is uh, Luke writing the book of Acts, an important note here. And this is, we're going to see a second writing that Luke gives. Um, the Apostle Paul is responsible for writing the, the vast majority and the most books of the New Testament. But Luke, the physician, he is responsible for writing the most content in the New Testament. The Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts, it's the, it's the most, it's more content than even Paul wrote. And here is how this begins. Acts 1, 1 through 3. I'll read it and then we'll pray. All right, Acts 1, verse 1. Luke writes, he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. He's referring there to the book of Luke. And just like the book of Luke, uh, Acts here is written to this gentleman known as Theophilus. Now, contrary to popular belief, he's not the awfulest guy. He's actually a pretty great guy. In fact, Luke, sorry, horrible joke, but Theophilus in Luke is described as the most excellent Theophilus. He's this almost benefactor, this wealthy man that, that could have potentially been, some people believe, maybe Luke's former slave master, um, who then releases Luke. Uh, Theophilus becomes a Christian. He sent Luke out to investigate the person of Jesus. That's the gospel of Luke. And now we have Acts. And so Jesus has resurrected and and the gospel uh, of Luke then translates here into Luke's account of Acts, which is the acts of the spirit through the early church. And so he's kind of giving a little segue there. So he says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Uh, Notice this, until the day in which he was taken up, we're going to look at that next week, the ascension. Here's an important detail that Luke gives. He's taken up after he, notice this, through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Uh, Today, I want to preach a message that I've entitled simply 40 Days with Jesus. 40 Days with Jesus. This is where Jesus Continued begins for Luke. Would you just pray with me one more time? Lord, uh, we just want to give you the next few moments that we have together and invite you to use them for your glory and our good as you work uh, in our lives in the midst of uh, what we're going through right now. We we certainly, now more than ever, need to give you that space. So God, we open up our hearts to you. I ask God that you would speak through me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd fill me. God, would you please speak to us? Jesus, would you present yourself alive to us even in this moment? Uh, God, we invite you to do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So 40 days with Jesus. Uh, That's this detail that Luke gives here that's not given anywhere else in the New Testament. You have this period of 40 days following the resurrection of Jesus prior to the ascension of Jesus where Jesus hangs out and is with his disciples. Uh, This is so significant. Uh, For me, I I came to know this, and I feel like I had to learn this um, after learning some 
bad theology uh, throughout the years of growing up and just singing Christian songs in church, you're actually taught the opposite of this. Like in my mind, I always understood the resurrection of being the thing where Jesus is like beamed out of earth. Like he comes back from the dead. He shows a few people. He's like, hey, I'm here. Bye. And in fact, there's a song that I grew up singing um, you might have known it. It's Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. Remember that one? It's like a famous classic uh, late 90s worship song. And in the song, there's this lyric that says, He came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My debt to pay. Come on. I know you're singing it. From the cross to the grave. Now here's the lyric. Ready? From the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Now, we're going to lift the Lord's name on high for, for sure, but that's not actually what happened. Jesus didn't go from the grave to the sky and then by and by. He will eventually ascend to the right hand of God, but Luke tells us, and it's only listed here, that after Jesus resurrected from the grave, it says there in verse 3 that he was seen by the disciples for 40 days being seen by them for 40 days. Now, that's incredible. I mean, you can only just begin to imagine how impactful these 40 days with Jesus were for the disciples. I mean, if, if three years with Jesus was transformative, imagine 40 days with the resurrected Lord. And a lot can happen in 40 days. I mean, you just think about that for a second. 40 is a significant number. In fact, in the Bible, you see it's used often for significant events. You have uh, Jesus fasting for 40 days, uh, being tempted on the 40th day by the enemy. You, you have Israel wandering, right, for 40 years in the wilderness. You have uh, the flood, 40 days, 40 nights. 40, it's the significant number. Uh, it's often uh, correlated to judgment and trial and testing, but it's a number that, that, that is, is significant nonetheless. These, these, these uh, different events that can pack a whole lot of things um, into this 40-day period, a 40-day period. Uh, you know, I think it's this Wednesday or so that we're actually 40 days. This Wednesday is 40 days since Boca's official stay-at-home order that was given. I think it was March 17th that the first orders started to go out. But, but think about the past 40 days. A lot has happened. Uh, it's been said that it takes 40 days to develop a new habit. Now, there's a lot of debate around this, but some of the, the, the most consistent study shows that some people say it's like 20 days, and that might be true, but uh, it's been said that it's actually 20 days to break a habit and 20 days to form a new one. So you can't really form a new habit till you've broken some bad ones. And so just again, that number. So think about that. 40 days that these disciples, so much can happen in that time, especially when it's 40 days spent with Jesus. Such a significant moment for these disciples. And what I want to focus on in our time here is just what was going on. What was going on? As we look at Jesus continue. Uh, what was going on in the, this encounter with Jesus and his disciples? And here Luke gives us three things during these 40 days. All right, let's look at each of these. The first thing that we see going on, we'll look at some implications of these uh, details. Uh, the first thing that Luke tells us is that in those 40 days with Jesus, you have 40 days of Jesus presenting himself alive 
from the dead. Now, these are, aren't in the, the order of the scriptures here, but I want to give them more in chronology. So the first thing we have is Jesus presenting himself alive. It's there in verse 3. It, it says, Jesus, during those 40 days, it says, presented himself alive after his suffering by many, notice this phrase, infallible proofs. It's the first thing we have there, Jesus presenting himself alive from the dead. And on Easter, we looked at a couple of those accounts, Jesus presenting himself alive from the dead to Mary, then to the disciples, then to Thomas. Uh, And then you have 1 Corinthians 15, which actually lists in detail all the different witnesses that Jesus presented himself alive to. Uh, I want you to look at this. It's 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul says this, he says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, Paul's saying there's a testimony to the fact that Jesus did this. What is it? Well, it's the scriptures. And that should be enough support, right? Why do I believe it? Well, because the Bible tells me so. And though that's enough, and it's not less than that, there's actually more to the witness of Jesus' resurrection than just the Bible saying it. He goes on to describe actual witnesses, over 500 witnesses that Jesus presented himself alive to. He goes on to say this, that after he was buried, it says that he was, uh, he was resurrected and he was seen first by Cephas, that's Peter. It says, and then by the 12, now, we, we saw that in the Gospel of John chapter 20 where he enters that room. He just kind of shows up in the room. That's pretty awesome. Teleports into the room. He breathes on them, tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. And he's presenting himself alive to the 12 with many infallible proofs. Now, the 12, it, it's not it, exactly numeric. We know at this point Judas, he's kind of, he's, he, he, yeah, he, he got cut from the team. And so uh, we know that they're not exactly 12 anymore, but this is just kind of the phrase that was used to describe them, the 12. And we see that, that Jesus presented himself alive to the 12, but it doesn't stop at the 12. It says, after that, look at this, what, what Paul gives us. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Now, if like three people were all there to see the same thing, you have a powerful testimony in court. An eyewitness account is one of the most trustworthy things. It's one of the most powerful things in the court of law. And in here, Paul is saying that Jesus presented himself alive at one point to 500 people at once. And notice what he says, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, what, what, what Paul is saying is like, they're in your church. You could go ask them. I mean, imagine being in that day. Like, some of them are still alive. Like, that person that you just shook hands with in the two-minute mingle, they saw Jesus alive. I mean, talk about the weight, the reliability of the gospel based on the variety of eyewitnesses. These witnesses were so convinced uh, by what they saw. Remember what it said there in Acts, that Jesus presented himself alive with many infallible proofs. It was, it was unmistakable that this is the resurrected Jesus that they would all give their own lives for their testimony. Who would give up their life for a lie, right? They sacrificed their own lives because they encountered the risen Jesus. Now, this is a bit of, a, of a, like an Easter throwback message here. Um, 
But I want to just make a point here to say that the resurrection, the fact that Jesus is alive and that he's presented himself alive is not just a, a, a piece of information that should be celebrated on Easter Sunday. The, resurrected tr- the resurrection of Jesus, the truth that Jesus is presently alive, is actually the foundation and the fuel, and it defines the whole context of our entire Christian life. This is everything. This is every day. This has major implications for us as followers of Jesus. Uh, first and foremost, let me say that this is, this, the implication here first has to do with our relationship with God. The idea that Jesus, this one with whom we have relationship, he's not just this character of history that we have relationship with through the document that describes his life. Uh, you know, I, a lot of times I feel like it's, it's like we can relate to Jesus the way we might to our favorite character in our favorite TV show. You know, if you watch a show long enough and you invest long enough and you watch this character on screen, you could sort of develop a one-way relationship with them. Where like you, you kind of get to know them through the, the contents of their character and the details of their life on the screen. You, it's really weird how you can really become so familiarized with a person in relationship. But the truth is, no matter how much I know about, personally, uh, LeBron James, who I'm a fan of, and I admire his basketball skills. I try to replicate his moves uh, in the driveway, and sometimes I succeed at them when I'm dunking over Judah. But uh, despite what I know about him, I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. Or, or take that back to the, the whole movie analogy. If you watch a movie of the past and you develop a relationship with an actor that's passed away, you can get to know them through the contents of the screen, but you don't have a relationship with them, a living relationship, because they're not alive. And I want to say that the Christian life is not meant to be lived that way. It's not just reading about Jesus to know things about him because he existed and we have the account. You see, Christianity is, is about a relationship with a living person. Jesus is alive. It's one thing to know about him. It's a whole other thing, listen, for Jesus to present himself alive to you. I mean, think of what hope this gave the disciples, that though Jesus was no longer with them in the same physical sense, that they could continue to know him because he was alive. Let me ask you this question simply. When was the last time you experienced the living Jesus? When's the last time Jesus presented himself alive to you? In, in, in this way that was like unmistakable, like, yeah, that's the Lord. See, that's what it means to know Jesus. That's, by the way, that's a great prayer to pray. I found myself praying that this week as I spent some time in God's word. I started praying, Jesus, would you, would you present yourself alive to me? You're alive. Would you present yourself to me? Would you make yourself known to me? Would you impress upon my life and transform my life with the fact that you're risen, that you're alive? So this has major implications for our relationship with him. He's alive. Christianity is not just about principles. It's about relationship with a person, a living person, the living God. Uh, This also has implications when we're knowing Jesus this way. It has implications for our message. Like the gospel that we preach is about a risen, living Savior. In fact, in that account that we just read here in 1 Corinthians 15, Uh, As Paul is describing Jesus presenting himself alive from the dead, he's describing the gospel. 
1 Corinthians 15, that passage we just read, is the most detailed account of the good news of God in all the Bible. It's the most specific that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. And one of the, the biggest parts of, of 1 Corinthians 15 is the fact that Jesus is alive. See, that's our gospel message. That's what we preach. We don't just proclaim the fact that Jesus died for our sins 2,000 years ago, that Jesus died to save 2,000 years ago. We preach the fact that Jesus lives to save right now. That's so important. It's so important to remember that, that when we're proclaiming the gospel, we're proclaiming not just a message of some man 2,000 years ago, but we're proclaiming the hope of a living Savior who not only died to save, but who lives to save. This has implications for our relationship to God, has implications for our message, and it also has implications for our own spiritual life. You see, it's Romans chapter 8 that says, that the same resurrection power that rose Christ from the dead actually lives within us. Isn't that awesome? It's not just a holiday, Easter, Jesus rose from the dead. No, it's a lifestyle. The resurrection power, the power of the Spirit, the very power of God that brought Jesus back to life resides within you and me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in light of this that I want you to see Romans chapter 6 where Paul says this. He says, do not present, in light of the fact, same chapter where he talks about the resurrection power, in light of the fact that we have the resurrection power of Christ in us, he says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but notice this phrase, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Isn't that interesting? This is the same thing that Jesus did to the disciples. And Paul is saying we should do that to God. Just as Jesus showed up to his disciples and presented himself alive, Paul says that same resurrection power lives in you and me, and we too should present ourselves alive to God. We have the resurrection power of Christ in us, but part of that process, notice what he says there, is we've got to be dead first to sin. I cannot be both alive to sin and alive to God at the same time. Sin will kill my spiritual life. I've got to reckon myself, he says, to be dead to sin. And through the resurrection power of Christ, I present myself alive to God. Just like the resurrection of Jesus made non-believers believers, it's the resurrection and life of Jesus and Christians that will make non-believers believers. As we go into our, our, our workplaces, as we navigate what we're going through, it's amazing the effect, the witness that that can be when we present ourselves alive to God, the power of God in using that. So that's the first thing that we see Jesus doing in these 40 days, really significant. The first thing we see him doing once more here is presenting himself alive from the dead. What's the second thing? What else did Jesus do here? 40 days with Jesus. What else was going on there in those 40 days? Um, it was more than him just saying, hey, I'm alive. You, okay, check it out. And they were like, that's awesome. We're so happy. Jesus spent time with his disciples. Uh, it says that they saw him for 40 days. And the word there is, um, in the Greek, it's where we get the word optometry. It literally means that they, that they eyeballed him for 40 days, that they studied him, that they spent time with Jesus in his, as they were even probably becoming familiarized with his new form, the same Jesus but in a resurrected form. 
which is a kind, uh, is a template for what we will take on when we are resurrected in Christ. Uh, so he's, he's with his disciples these 40 days. Uh, that all we, by the way, all I know is what you know and I know here, what, what's listed. We don't have any more detail. Did he appear, disappear, reappear? Did he hang out every moment? I, I don't know. You see in John's gospel, it seems to be like this, like uh, show up, dip out kind of scenario. Uh, but certainly in those moments that he was with them, the second thing that Luke tells us is that while Jesus was with his disciples for 40 days, he was speaking about the kingdom of God. It's the second thing he was doing. Presenting himself alive with many infallible proofs. It was undeniable Jesus is alive. We're so convinced of this. We'll give our life for this. We'll preach this message. We'll live with this resurrection power. But for those 40 days, Jesus also spent time with his disciples. This is so interesting. Uh, Luke tells us, speaking of things, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I just want to pull it up there. I think it's right there. Yeah, at the end of the verse there in verse 3. Speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Imagine that sermon. Imagine sitting under that teacher, the resurrected Jesus, receiving those teachings. We know most of the gospel accounts are Jesus' words regarding the kingdom of God, teaching his disciples about the nature of the kingdom. But here, this is like a 40-day special sermon series. The re- I don't know what, maybe Jesus called it Jesus Continued. I don't know, maybe he did, okay? I mean, he probably, all right? But in, the, in that 40-day period, he's doing extra sermons. And he's now speaking about things pertaining to the kingdom. But I, I have a feeling that this is more than just the, old, the age-old content. The content that we'll continue to study, the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of his lessons about the kingdom and about the king of the kingdom. And the reason I, I, I have this um, inclination is because of what, something that Jesus said to the disciples in John 16. He said, I still have many things to say to you. He goes, but you cannot bear them now. Uh, and th- there was a bit of a fire hose that the disciples were drinking from in the last week of Jesus' life when you look in John. I mean, a lot of red letters, a lot of promises of peace, a lot of instruction. But it's almost like in the moment Jesus is going to the cross, the disciples, it's like they, they have no frame of mind to begin to wrap their head around uh, justification by faith alone through grace alone, you know, <laughs> and what regeneration is and, and the process of sanctification and church and church discipline and the nature of the kingdom spreading in the world through the mission of God. I mean, the disciples are just like our best friend and our master and rabbi is leaving. And so Jesus is going to the cross. He's accomplishing the work of the gospel and the disciples, they don't have the wherewithal to be able to bear the, a lot of the truths that the gospel communicates. What we have, I'll say it this way, like what we have in the New Testament, most of the epistles. Jesus is like, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He goes on to say in this chapter that the Holy Spirit is going to come and guide you into all truth. I believe Jesus there is speaking about the New Testament that would be written these letters that would be inspired by the Spirit to communicate the very Word of God. But we have the download of this content listed for us again there in Acts. Jesus said in John, I have many things to say to you. He goes to the cross. He rises from the grave. He spends 40 days with the disciple, and now he's able to speak of the things pertaining to the kingdom. And one can only imagine Um, the kind of things that Jesus went over. I imagine Jesus is talking about 
the, the emphasis on faith and not works. And especially talking to Peter going, Peter, I know you've made this thing so much about your works, but listen, you just gotta trust in the work that I just accomplished. It's by faith alone. Teaching them about the nature and the beauty of grace. Just imagine what it was like to be the disciples hearing and learning firsthand from Jesus here about the kingdom. Uh, and that's, by the way, again, that's where you have now the New Testament. I, I, am, I would imagine that most of the New Testament comes out of a lot of these sermons that Jesus preached to the disciples uh, during these four, this 40-day period, inspired by the Spirit. And what we have then, in light of what it says here, is we have in the New Testament what you could call is like a manifesto. It's almost like a manifesto of God's kingdom. You know, a manifesto, it, it describes the policy. It, it describes the, the heartbeat of a kingdom, sort of how they operate and who they are and what they're like. And so much of the Gospels include the, the manifesto of the kingdom. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount um, had a friend who did a whole sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount and called it the manifesto of the kingdom. And that's really what it is. But, but that's also what the entire New Testament is. It gets us familiar with the kingdom of which we are subjects. And just an important reminder here. As followers of Jesus, we don't only have a living Savior. As followers of Jesus, we are subjects of a risen, reigning king. Under which we are a part of a heavenly kingdom. We say it this way all the time, right? This, this world is not our home. We are now subjects of the kingdom of God. We're to live here on earth praying things like, God, may your kingdom come and will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. It's the, there's the kingdom of this world, which is fallen, which is broken. We are born as subjects of this fallen kingdom, contributors to the sin and the brokenness of this kingdom. And there is then the kingdom of God, modeled by the very king of this kingdom who came and gave his life to bring us into that same kingdom. There's a day coming where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth will be united once again. There's this new heaven and new earth. But here in the meantime, we are called to live as ambassadors, as representatives of this heavenly kingdom. And that's what Jesus is helping the disciples do. In fact, as you go on in this chapter, you see the disciples' uh, thinking was so limited in regards to the kingdom of God. They, were, they still go on to think very earthly and uh, nationalistically about the kingdom. They go, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he goes, no, no, no. It's not about a geography of my kingdom. It's about the whole world. It's about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That was God's vision, was spreading the kingdom of God into all the world through us as his ambassadors. A beautiful vision. And so here's the simple reminder here. We, as followers of Jesus, are subjects of a kingdom that's not of this world, that has its own culture and has its own king, Jesus and when we study God's word, just like the disciples were able to sit under the resurrected Jesus' teaching about the kingdom, when we study the Bible, what we get to do is become familiar, more and more familiar with this king and his kingdom. This is the manifesto that helps us live as citizens of heaven here on earth. And just as the disciples had that opportunity to sit under his teaching, we do too. Jesus is alive. I want to ask you, how devoted are you to learning about the kingdom of God and becoming 
a representative, more and more a representative of that kingdom? How passionate and in pursuit of you, of, of the king are you as you study his word, as you go after him, getting to know him through his manifesto? So that's what we see here, the second thing. The first thing, again, 40 days of Jesus presenting himself alive from the dead. The second thing that we have, as we just looked, is 40 days with Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God. As I said, I'm sure talking about things like grace and the gospel and so forth. And then lastly, the last thing we have is listed here is we have 40 days. In these 40 days, Jesus is giving his disciples specific commands. Now, was there more going on? Possibly, but here's what we know. We know Jesus presented himself alive for those 40 days. He taught them concerning the kingdom and he gave them specific commands. He commanded them. Um, We actually see it even down there in verse, if you're in Acts 1, if you just look down at verse 4, it says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Okay, Uh, Jesus, as he is going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, he is going to order the direction of the church. He's going to command his will upon his disciples for them to carry that out. Now, I don't know how familiar we are with this Jesus. Commanding commander-in-chief Jesus, you know? You know, a lot of us were familiar with Jesus, my Savior, But how many of us know Jesus, my commander? In fact, I think it kind of, we don't really like that a little bit. It's kind of like imposing his will on me a little bit. I don't like Jesus like, I like, you know what I like? I like suggestion Jesus. Yeah. Hey, you know, just a suggestion, you know, maybe if you have the time, suggestion, like love God, uh, just a suggestion. Like I could help you love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Just a suggestion, okay? I'm just suggesting. I'm just suggesting that you go into all the world and make disciples. There in verse four, uh, he just suggested that the disciples go and wait for the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit, he could really do a lot for you in your ministry. So I just, I would just suggest, you know, like after you've done everything in your own strength, uh, I mean, if that doesn't work, it might, you know, uh, but just a suggestion, no, right? We see Jesus boldly, authoritatively commanding his disciples. You know, we follow commands every day. Commandments are a part of life. There's orders, there's direction, there's authority. Right now, (laughs) we are frustrated under a lot of necessary commandments, a lot of directions and orders from our local government. We follow, can I say, we follow commandments that we give ourselves every day. Sometimes my biggest problem is I do what my flesh commands rather than what Jesus commands. The question isn't, are you going to follow orders? It's whose? Whose commandments? We see Jesus in these 40 days taking time specifically to give command, to say, this is what I'm commanding you to do. Jesus, before he gives them the commandment of the Great Commission, he says, I have all authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There's no commanding authority that's higher than the commanding authority of Jesus. He's the highest authority. In fact, speaking of the Great Commission, I want you to even notice this. In, in Matthew 28, I, don't, I, I feel like this is left out sometimes of the famous Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, Jesus, we, we see a detail here in those 40-day period before he ascends. He's giving a command to his disciples. It's been called the great commandment, not the great, or the great commission, not the great suggestion. 
And he says, go therefore, notice this, that's a command, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's, by the way, why we started Solus Church, because Jesus commands us to, to reach people. He commands us to baptize people. He commands us to make disciples. But notice the nature of this. Notice this next verse. It's almost like I feel like the Great Commission stops here at 19, but look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So Jesus, the Great Commission is a command to go lead people to obey the commands of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? It's not just, you know, have a couple people, you know, get in a room and say a prayer. And no, discipleship, according to Jesus, is not this quick, easy believism kind of a thing. Discipleship, Jesus, the commission, the command we've received as followers of Jesus, is to help others, notice what he says, observe all that Jesus has commanded. Now, the word there, observe, means to obey. That's a hard thing to teach. I have children. It's, it's, I can, by the way, I can teach you all day long what Jesus has commanded. Here's what he said. But true discipleship, and this is what's missing a lot today in the church, we know it all. We know what he's commanded. But Jesus said the, the real commission is leading people to actually do it. That's discipleship, leading people to obey what God has commanded. I, I can, I'll tell you what, I give my kids commands all day long. Getting them to do what I say is another challenge, okay? To actually obey it. And, and, and in, my, in my parenting to my kid, there's certain reminders, uh, part of that process um, in leading them to become obedient as a parent. You, you know, the Bible says that Jesus in his humanity even learned obedience, and learning obedience has to be from a place of understanding love, first and foremost. Love is the heart of God's commandments. In my parenting, it's the heart of, that I'm constantly having to come back to for my kids. Um, and I want you to see this. I'm kind of talking about it from the standpoint of parenting, but think about it in the standpoint of discipleship to God as Jesus gives us commandments. The first thing I, I want to say about this is the idea that love is why God's commandments, oh, wrong one, this is what it is. Love is why God's commandments are kept or are given. It's why they're given. Love is the heart of why God's commandments are given. Uh, it's, it's 1 John 5 that says this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. He doesn't command to control. He's not commanding for the sake of, uh, of just being in control because he needs that or he's some kind of control freak. Let me, let me just say God doesn't need us to be in control. Okay? He is in sovereign control. The Psalms say that, the Lord, that God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. The reason why he gives commands to us is because he loves us. Love is why his commandments are given. They're not burdensome, First John says. It's not like, oh my gosh, like the tasks of God, the burdensome tasks of God. Like God just wants to lay some heavy weight on us. Like, do what I've said here. Oh, no, when you understand love, and I'm always having to do this with my kids, you're able to actually, you're able to actually have a delight in obeying that command, and you see where it's coming from. So like when I tell my kids, don't go into the street when you play, they might go, oh my, thanks, Dad. So burdensome. My father's parenting. He's just so, so he's such a legalist, you know? Don't go in the street, all these laws and rules. No. Now, why wouldn't I want my kids to play in the street? Because I love them. 
And I know the consequences of that. I just know better. I've lived a little bit longer. And we could say that God has lived longer than us, hasn't he? He's a bit more wise than us. So when he gives commands, they're not burdensome, but they're from a place of love. Love, as I said, is why God's commandments are given. As we see Jesus in this way, I want to also remind us that as we respond to this, as we see his heart, love is also why God's commandments are kept. Love is why they're given. He loves us, and his delight, his desire for us in loving us is not that we just go, okay, let me do what God says reluctantly, but when we keep God's commandments, the heart is that we do so in love as well. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, he's, John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, see they're, why that God, they're why God's commandments are to be kept, because we love him. God, I love you. So I'm going to keep your commandments. Remember Jesus in Mark 12 when he's approached by this religious man who says, what are the two greatest commandments, right? And he says, the two greatest are first to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, it's on these two commandments that the whole law and the prophets hang. The summation of all that God commands is love God and love each other. That's where it starts in Mark. So God loves us, so he gives us commands, and we keep those commandments because of love for him and love for others. It's interesting how this goes down the line in Galatians. It says that the law is summed up in just even loving your neighbor, how just by loving my neighbor, I'm fulfilling the whole law. But it's Romans 13 that I love, where Paul says, love does no harm to a neighbor, because look at this, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, it's the heart of the law just even summed up in this one word. I mean, this is what God is, is at and what he's after in this world, love. Giving us commands because he loves us, calling us to him and to obey him so that we can love in return, restoring love back to the world. And so that's what we see here in these 40 days with Jesus. We see Jesus presenting himself alive to his disciples making himself known, the, cra- the incredible implications of the risen Savior, teaching them, speaking to them about the kingdom of God, and giving them specific commands. It'll be later in this chapter that Jesus will ascend to the right hand of God. We'll look at that next week. And an angel will appear and say to the disciples, listen, this same Jesus, this same Jesus that has ascended, he's going to return. And I think that's what I want to encourage us with today. This same Jesus. The same Jesus that rose, the same Jesus that appeared for 40 days to the disciples, the same Jesus who ascended to the right hand of God, the same Jesus who's going to return. Can I say, he is with you. The same Jesus. The same Jesus is looking to present himself alive to you, to lead you into a living relationship with the living God. This same Jesus is looking to teach you about the kingdom of God, to form your and my character more into that of an ambassador of this kingdom. And this same Jesus lovingly gives you and I commands through which we can love him back and we can love others. There's no greater hope to know that this same Jesus is with us. And so that's my prayer and my hope for you.
that this Jesus would be known by you. Uh, that you would see that this same Jesus went to a cross for you. When we talk about love, that's where it was most demonstrated. None of us in and of ourselves were able to keep the commandments of God. We've so fallen short of the kingdom. Every day we break the commandments of God. Every one of us has. It's, it's actually through the law that we know our sin. But this same Jesus who kept and fulfilled every point of the law, blamelessly, he went to a cross, and this same Jesus took on our sin so that we today, through our faith in him, could have the eternal hope of salvation. So that we could, without any shame or doubt or fear, we could pursue him and know him. He will present himself alive to us. This same resurrection power lives in us. So are you walking with the same Jesus? Are you trusting in the same Jesus? In this hard time, I pray that's one thing that you would see, that despite everything changing around us, Jesus is the same. He is the same, Hebrews says, yesterday, today, and forever. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.